Want the same expert advice you get from the pros in the store while shopping online at DiscountTire.com? Meet Treadwell, your personal online tire guide that matches you with the perfect tire for your vehicle. Get your best match in one minute or less with Treadwell by Discount Tire. You can support this podcast at Patreon.com slash Partners in Crime Media. I'm Rebecca Lavoie, and this is Crime Writers On, the podcast about other podcasts and also about journalism, pop culture, true crime. And this week, we finally get a sneak peek at the serial spinoff trailer, plus a weird update in a case we've been following for a while, and we review a super-duper strange documentary called Tickled. So joining me right now is the host of These Are Their Stories, the Law & Order podcast, my true crime co-author, real-life husband, and the most ticklish person I've ever met, Kevin Flynn. Hello, Kevin. I might be ticklish, but your hair is feathered. If I just reach over to you and do this, <laughs> you can't even you can't even deal. I would not be I could not stand the the endurance competition. You cannot. Also joining us is journalist, true crime author, former defense investigator, licensed PI, and part-time snowplow operator, Laura Bricker. Hello, Laura. Hello. And rounding out the panel is the very talented noir novelist and newly vindicated missing Richard Simmons naysayer. Toby Ball. Hello, Toby. Buenos dias. <laughs> well, that was straightforward. Now, Toby, um, I say newly vindicated because today in the New York Times, there is an opinion piece on missing Richard Simmons, which basically repeats all of Toby's points about if Dan Taberski is truly Richard Simmons' friend, he would just leave him the hell alone. Do you feel good about that, Toby? The failing New York Times? <laughs> um, <laughs> yes. Well, good. I don't feel good about it, and I still don't agree. So I guess you we're on don't record. agree? <laughs> no, I still don't agree. <laughs> All right. Well, if I disappear someday, <laughs> just let me be. No, no way. Coming after you, yeah. You've thrust yourself into the public spotlight, Toby. What can we say? We That's all, right. We have all this great archival tape. I owe it to, I owe it to my people. <laughs> well, Toby, I was wondering if you did uh, your due diligence this morning and took a look at the list of Amazon items I sent you today. I did, as a matter of fact. Great. Before the power went out. <laughs> I, yes, that's a little quick disclaimer to our audience. If we have technical troubles later in this podcast, which we very well might, it is because there is an F5 level snow tornado swirling outside of all of our homes <laughs> in here in New Hampshire, and we are not all together. So one of us might lose power or Wi-Fi or some combination of those things. So uh, we're just going to do our best to power through this. We're lucky to have gotten this far. We're lucky to have been able to send Toby a spreadsheet. <laughs> so uh, listeners, as you know, you can go to our website, crimewriterson.com. You can use the Amazon link there to purchase items. When you do, you pay not a penny extra, but a tiny piece of your purchase goes to support the podcast. And occasionally, Toby likes to curate some of the items our listeners bought and uh, let us know what his favorites are. So, Toby, why don't you go ahead and do that right now? I'm going to start the sexy music. Nice. All right. You know, I usually don't read things that you guys bought just as a policy, but this, I think Laura might have bought this. Drink up, bitches. St. <laughs> Patrick's gift funny men's long sleeve t-shirt, extra large green. No comment. <laughs> and while we're, uh, while we're sort of breaking that rule, I believe this might be Kevin's. Lego Star Wars 75111 Darth Vader building kit. Ooh. <laughs> sounds pretty oh, nice. It goes with those little sheets. I saw your little sheets this morning, Kevin. 
Yes, our flannel On Star Instagram, Wars sheets. On Instagram, you mean, yes. Yes, yes, yes. No, I wasn't in your house, but I saw a photo of your Star Wars sheets. It goes with my um, Instagram profile theme of Instagramming photos of Kevin and our dogs. And that's pretty much <laughs> our entire, my entire Instagram, which you can find me at Reb Lavoy if you're interested in seeing those things. Please don't. <laughs> okay, back to me. Um, <laughs> and then, uh, Rebecca, maybe mm-hmm. you can explain this to me. This is luggage. Mm-hmm. Cute yellow round vomiting and sucking lazy egg yolk vent stress tricky game relief toys. <laughs> What the hell? Luggage? <laughs> For luggage? Yeah, that wasn't there's a, me. <laughs> there's there's nothing, nothing about this makes any sense to me. I wouldn't put any clothes in something labeled vomiting and sucking. Well, it's cute. It's cute <laughs> oh. and yellow, oh, okay. and it's round. Yeah. But then it also is vomiting and sucking lazy egg yolk. I feel like that was miscategorized <laughs> as luggage. I'm not sure what that is. Uh, something lost see. in the transition from but, the Chinese factory it was made in. But it's easy to see on that uh, luggage carousel thing when it comes around. I guess that's so. Right. <laughs> to, <laughs> easy to identify. vomiting and sucking bag. Yeah, that's um, not mine. Yeah, let it go. So this is another one I'm not sure about. Maybe somebody can tweet the answer to this. But somebody bought a hell of a lot of Jason toothpaste. Do you know what that is? What toothpaste? Jason. I mean, may, I'm assuming it's toothpaste. Maybe it's his name. But, uh, <laughs> there was like toothpaste. four purchases of Jason toothpaste. What was also weird is that some of them were health and personal something or other. And some of them were beauty. Hmm. They're all over the place. Jason. Right. Here's the beginning of the commercialization of the anti-Trump forces. Paula's choice. And this is all in caps. Resist. <laughs> <laughs> Barrier repair moisturizer with retinol and antioxidants for normal to dry skin. Is that so your face doesn't turn orange? <laughs> uh, I'm not sure what that is. Because you hilarious. can't chip away at a revolution when your lips are chapped. And That's you're... right. Everything's becoming so commercial these Commercializing days. Commercializing dissent. It's not good. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Well, thank you very much, Toby. And uh, listeners, if you want to buy some of your own Jason toothpaste, you can get it. And a little piece will go to support the podcast at crimewriterson.com. Use the Amazon link right there. Whether you're in the U.S., the U.K., or Canada, we Thank take them all. We do. Thank you for uh, clearing that up for us. No other countries, though. <laughs> it doesn't work in any other countries. We've tried. We've tried yeah. very hard. Sorry, Spain. All right. So um, this week, a very big deal thing happened. Actually, uh, just this morning, the serial spinoff trailer got dropped. Now, we've heard that this show is going to be called S-Town. We got a release date. It's going to drop all seven episodes on March 28th. And listeners, we do plan to discuss S-Town. The show drops on Tuesday, March 28th with all seven episodes. It's doubtful that all four of us will be able to listen to all seven in time to talk about it for that week's podcast. It's doubtful all of you will be able to listen to that. (laughs) So we are going to discuss it probably the following week is what Mm -hmm. we're thinking right now. But we'll update you uh, with our newsletter and social media if if that changes. But uh, be on the lookout. Bookmark the date. Put it on your calendars. March 28th. All the episodes of S-Town will drop. Now, we all listened to the trailer this morning and host Brian Reed, he's going to be the host of S-Town. He kind of sets up the story by luxuriating in this long description of how clockmakers fix antique clocks when they have no idea how those clocks were built. He talks about tiny marks left inside the clock and that even experts finding it find it maddening to decipher these marks. The S-Town website is adorned with art around different clocks in their gears. 
Do you guys think these are clues somehow to the story that we're going to hear? What do you What do you think, Laura? That's what I was wondering as I was listening to it because I was like, "Come on, enough already! Get to the story." So I'm thinking that we're setting up something that this is going to be a very complex story that is is going to need to rely on a lot of different people who know a little bit about it, maybe. You know, because I I can't imagine why they would use this clock story for any other reason. I mean, yes, there was a clue that the person that, you know, contacted them about the story was a clockmaker. But I feel like there's got to be some symbolism there, or at least I'm hoping. Toby, what did you think of this trailer and and some of those like timekeeping clockmaking clues we we were given? Well, I'll tell you, I was uh, listening to the trailer for about a minute and 10 seconds and then the power went out. (laughs) So I did hear the beginning of the clock and then based on your description of what the rest of it was like, yeah, he's using clocks as a metaphor for the story. (laughs) Kevin, did you have thoughts about the trailer for uh, S10 that we heard so far today? Yeah, it's intriguing. I think, yeah, you definitely, I think using the symbolism of going back in time, trying to figure out how you got here, I don't know if the trailer is indicative of the entire storytelling style. It kind of verged from S-Town to maybe SKS Town on the, on the, on the long Uh-oh. sort of, you know. You mean the trailer? You're being critical of the trailer I'm for just, a podcast? What I'm, is the matter with you? I'm just saying. Well, I, I had the same reaction, Kevin. It was like, I'm like, enough already. Yeah, I kind of <laughs> wanted to get to, because the last 30, 60 seconds Bam was like a shot of adrenaline. It was it was like when John Travolta drove that syringe through the heart of Uma Thurman. Yeah, in Pulp Fiction. Boom, it came alive. One of the things that we heard at the very end of that trailer, and Toby, this will be news to you since you didn't hear it, is um we heard what S Town means. So why don't you go ahead and play that little piece, Kevin? Something's happened. Something has absolutely happened in this town. There's just too much little crap for something not to have happened. And I'm about had enough of shit town and the things that goes on. So, um, shit town. Shit town. <laughs> Mystery That's solved. not what I thought it was going to be. Mystery solved. <laughs> so, Toby, that's what you missed. You missed our little uh, interview there with whoever that guy was. Um, and John, I think, John? is what we, yeah, I think that's all we know it was so like far. A, it was like a syringe to the heart. <laughs> <laughs> well, is anybody besides me excited to hear this podcast? I, yeah. I sure am. I mean, Sarah Koenig in the trailer says that it's good, so I, I, yeah. I, that's good enough for me. What about you, Laura? I am definitely excited. It sounds like it's got a lot going on, and um, that guy sort of reminds me of the Wild Wild West or something, so I'm ready. All right, The well- shit town guy. <laughs> He does sound a little bit like a character from Westworld, that's for sure. Yeah. All right, so Kevin, uh, we're going to move on into our our next topic of discussion for today, and I'd like you to read this for me, please. True Crime Update! All right, so a couple of weeks ago, we talked about the latest twist in the Michael Peterson case. Michael Peterson, of course, was a novelist from North Carolina who was convicted of murdering his wife Kathleen by pushing her down a set of stairs. This, of course, was the crime featured in the documentary The Staircase, a.k.a. The Citizen Kane of True Crime, as I like (laughs) to call it. My favorite true crime documentary of all time. That case, of course, as we discussed a couple weeks ago, has spurred an alternate theory of the crime, as detailed on the first episode of the podcast Criminal and on a lot of internet forums. And that is that an owl actually is responsible for the death of Kathleen Peterson. So, 
We know now the news broke a couple weeks ago that Michael Peterson took an Alford plea in the death of his wife, Kathleen. He was sentenced to time served, so the 73-year-old was able to walk out of the courtroom after spending a hell of a lot of time in prison for this crime, having his verdict overturned and uh, having it be an entire long legal shit show, basically. But that is not the end of the story. Even though we know that the Alfred plea typically means that a case is over, much to the delight of listeners to the criminal podcast and uh, people like me, Peterson's attorney, David Rudolph, is now asking the state to turn over feather remnants found on Kathleen's body. After years of downplaying its feasibility, it looks like Peterson's team is taking a serious look at the owl theory. So, Kevin, the case is over. Why do you think they're continuing this investigation and, and pursuing this theory? Well, I think I think Peterson still wants people to believe that he is not guilty. And it's an intriguing thought. I mean, remember, it, it wasn't just, or the allegation wasn't just that Kathleen fell down the stairs. She had lacerations on her head. And so the theory of the crime was that he beat her about the head with the blow poke the blow poke right and the defense was she'd had a drink or two and she lost her balance and fell down the stairs which doesn't quite account for all the blood it is an intriguing theory and if they did find feathers and as we've talked about this like one or two episodes ago as odd as it sounds in that area of the country it's very feasible toby doesn't think so I know Toby doesn't think so, yes. Uh, One of the things I'm wondering, Laura, is, you know, do you think, and this is a theory that, you know, Kevin and I were talking about, there was this many, many years of the Peterson side sort of ignoring the owl theory, like saying they didn't, you know, put a lot of credence in it, not really talking much about it. Do you think they were saving this whole feather thing and planning to pursue it if there was going, in fact, to be a new trial? What do you think? I mean, they could have been. I just find this kind of ridiculous. You know what? Don't poke the hornet's nest. You get the deal. You're out of jail. I understand he wants to have the last word, but I just feel like, you know, it's over. You know, walk away. It's done. It it is possible that this is something that they could have used had they gone to trial, but we're not going to trial anymore. So I guess I just don't see at this point why they would pursue this unless it's just that he needs to have the last word. But you know what? Things are good. You're home. You're out of jail. Enough. Done. Right. You know, it's funny, Laura, I reached out to our friend Colin Miller, a.k.a. Legal Siri from the Undisclosed podcast about this and said, you know, like real question, you know, why would a lawyer or a defendant spend time and money doing this? And here's what he wrote. He said, "Um, everything I saw from Peterson on the staircase leads me to believe that he doesn't want the last word on this case being his guilty Alfred plea. If there's even a 1% chance this expert would corroborate the owl theory, it's a chance he's willing to take. And if she rejects the owl theory, we will probably never hear about it. The same goes for Rudolph. There's a small chance he looks like a genius. And we'll never hear about this again if the owl theory is rejected. So, you know, Colin's theory, I kind of agree. It's a little bit about last word. It's a little bit about saving face. Yeah. His legacy. And he's got nothing to lose. Toby, you know, we've already been burned by a so-called blood expert in this case. And, you know, and that was an expert whose testimony in Peterson's first trial basically pointed to him being guilty, you know. And then later we saw, of course, in the staircase that that testimony was totally made up BS testimony. I'm wondering if for you there is any chance that an interpretation or analysis from this bird expert could change your mind or anyone's mind if they believe that Peterson is guilty or innocent in this case. What do you think? I mean, I, th- I think there's analysis that you could make that would 
convince me of it. I don't think some stray feathers is going to do it. But I, I think if somebody combined feathers with like a better look at the wounds, I, I guess that would convince me. But I, it doesn't sound like what they're doing. No, I think actually that's, you know, what they're going to try to do is, you know, if they can say that these feathers came from an owl, I think then they would, you know, try to compare the patterns of the lacerations to towns. I mean, I think that that's kind of like where they're going, Toby. But like Colin said, if it doesn't end up going anywhere and it's inconclusive, they're not going to send out a press release, right? It's just going to sort of just vanish. So it isn't like declaring, like, I'm getting a DNA test and or something like that, and I'll publish the results. He can either come up with, here's a bunch of stuff to make you think that this was really what happened, or it can just be as it is. I have a, another theory mm-hmm. about something that might be going on in the background here. Do you remember how the staircase was actually what? Like a, a 10 part one, and then they released two oh, more it episodes? Might have been like, like a, eight or something. Like yeah, that. yeah, yeah. I wonder if there's potential of like continuing the staircase, like, like having there be a filmed documentary conclusion of this that sort of looks at him trying to exonerate himself in the public's view with this owl thing. Because I, I don't know if that French crew was there for the owl for know. Boot, but I mean, they stuck with it for so many years yes. that I don't see why they would say, oh, we'll skip this. This is know, the conclusion to their story. Right. And the one thing that we said over and over and over again, we talked about documentary, is that David Rudolph, who was his attorney, who is still his attorney, and there was a point in the documentary where he wasn't being paid, but I guess, I don't know, he is, I'm not sure how it works, but um, he's very media savvy, that mm-hmm. attorney. He didn't come across as being like Gloria uh, all red like you know you can't get in between him and the camera but he certainly had a sense of how the media could help him and help his client in this case so I kind of wonder if we might see this somehow I don't know if I got arrested in Raleigh I would be looking at Mr. Rudolph now Kevin you mentioned to me there's an overlooked financial implication for Peterson's plea what were you talking about when when you mentioned that to me there was a civil suit that uh, Kathleen's family brought against Peterson and they won for $25 million. Wow. But it's contingent upon the guilty plea holding up. Now, it's kind of unclear, but by taking an Alfred plea, you are pleading guilty. Hmm. And you are also you know, giving up the right to appeal and all, all these sort of other things that go along with when you plead guilty. So it's not quite clear how that's going to affect the civil case. Certainly, if you're in jail and you, there's a civil settlement against you, more often than not, no money's ever collected. Right. You know, if you think about the O.J. Simpson thing or, 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 or smaller cases like that, um, you know, they can take property or whatever. But, you know, $25 million check is just probably never going to get written. But if he had been acquitted at the second trial, the civil case would have been tossed. Right. Or they'd have to redo it. But it looks like that he might walk away from jail, but not from the tab. Does anybody know whether or not the son of Sam laws would apply in this case with Peterson. Like, oh, would yeah. he be able to write about this, profit from it in any way? Probably wouldn't, no, correct? No, he would not. And right. any money raised would either, depending on the state's rules, either go to a state fund that they mm-hmm. have set up, or in a civil case like this, it would all go directly to Kathleen's family. Right. And I think this was a this was a, an interesting point that we found in the O.J. Simpson documentary that OJ owed the Goldman's uh, millions from the wrongful death suit and pled poverty, but was making all this money under the table in the sports paraphernalia mm-hmm. world. And his manager, who basically came clean on camera, said he was complicit in in hiding the money. Yeah. 
Good times. Good times. All right. So, Toby, uh, pure speculation. You think there's going to be any kind of outcome from this feather thing or are we never going to hear about it again? What do you think? Uh, I can't believe we'll ever hear about it again. Although, after Kevin explained the $25 million, like, <laughs> it seems pretty obvious why he's doing it. Well, maybe. Maybe. I don't know what the rules are. Maybe, um, you know, guilt is guilt with the Alfred plea and that's that. He can't appeal his guilty plea afterwards. Right. Who so knows? He is guilty for uh, Where's yeah. legal Siri when you need it? Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, but can't you do some kind of a appeal about, like, actual guilt? I don't think so. No, and Lauren, maybe we'd toss no. it to you. I mean, I think... You've been in court when uh, a defendant has agreed to plead guilty and the judge goes over every right that they are giving up. I mean, there's a, there's a long list of things and the judge is required to ask of the defendant, do you understand mm-hmm. this and are you admitting this? Am I right? Yeah, 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 yeah. They do. They go over the whole list um, and, and, you know, and some people have a hard time with that and that's what, you know, it's... You understand that you're pleading guilty because you are guilty. You understand that by pleading guilty, you're giving up your right to a trial. I mean, it's a whole prescribed uh, list of things that they have to go through. I don't, this again, I don't know anything about the rules, and I don't know what uh, legal theory would say, but maybe there is something in the civil case that could, you know, there could be an outcome as a result of him being able to prove ac- actual innocence in a civil arena. I don't know. But, you know, there could be something there. I don't know. I'm just, I just think it's going to be more documentary episodes, than I think. <laughs> yeah, I agree with you, Rebecca. I think, I think this could be the finale. I hope so. I kind of love the documentary. I'd love to see some more <laughs> of it. Uh, Kevin, what do you think the outcome of this whole feather thing is going to be? Well, uh, I, I'm not sure. I mean, I think that you could uh, say that he will fly away on the wings of the owl. Hmm. Cheesy. It's super cheesy. <laughs> Just like you might fly away on vacation by booking a much-needed vacation home from Tripping.com. Oh, God, I need that today. What a perfect day for that, Kevin. Perfect. <laughs> I know. Right now we are in the middle of a blizzard and you're just thinking about- Blizzard again. Yeah. You're just like, you want to plan to get away for the spring or the summer, but planning it is going to kill you. <laughs> not, not literally. <laughs> well, I'm just, I'm reading what they put down here. They said planning <laughs> it that. is going to kill you. Oh, God. Seriously, wow. with all the searching and researching, you may never make it to that first umbrella drink. No. It says, Jesus. Yeah. It's dire. Kind of depressing. <laughs> okay, so there's that. But the guys at Tripping.com are pretty awesome. And if you've gone <laughs> to the website, you know what they're talking about because just getting away is very difficult, especially, you know, you've got, if it's the two of you, maybe it's a little easier, but you got the kids and that's four. And Pesky you, kids. And then, right, you know, maybe you got an odd number and it's like you can't just get two hotel rooms and why not look at getting a vacation home? Right. And the best way to do that is to go to tripping.com because they aggravate. They aggregate. aggregate. They aggregate <laughs> all sorts of information from different websites like VRBO, TripAdvisor, Booking.com, so you could see over 10 million properties properties around the world. I, I mean, I think some properties in countries where they don't extradite from. Oh, and, God. Uh, <laughs> and then you can relax. And you also get to know because you're comparing prices and you can book the best place at the best price. You know, pick the amenities you want. Do you want parking? Do you want a pool? Do you want... Another bathroom for your kids? Uh, yeah. Your disgusting kids? <laughs> Do you have a garden hose where you can just spray them down? <laughs> you can relax knowing that you're getting the best price for your rental. In fact, you'll save an average of 18% per night when you book with Tripping.com. That's a lot. Yeah, so visit Tripping.com slash writers today and you will start and you will finish the search for your perfect vacation rental. That's Tripping.com slash writers. writers. Tripping.com slash 
writers. Writers. Dripping.com slash writers. Yeah, man. Just like open it up on your, your browser and just... Right now. Just go... Just, I might be doing it right now. Just I've had go a few there. Of wine. You know, it helps us out, guys. Even if you don't book a house, just go there using that link. Check it out. Dripping.com slash writers. They'll know you listen to the show. And then uh, maybe they'll book some more ads and that would be good for us. That would all be good for us. <laughs> all right, maybe, and you, by Maybe extension. a little too much on the transparency. <laughs> No, I'm going to go do it right now. This is how I usually book vacations. We have really bad, like crazy weather. I get all like in a, you know, state and then I'm like, that's it. I'm booking a trip. I'm never plowing again. (laughs) Yeah, that's it. It may be fun and empowering for a little while, but I'm done. All right. What else you got, Kevin? All right. Well, if you're worried about something flying through that window or coming through that unlocked door, that nagging feeling that you have left the house and things could be going wrong there. Uh-huh. You need Simply Safe. Oh my god, this is the most ominous opening to an ad ever. Well, you get the peace of mind with Simply Safe Home Security because they have recently created this high definition security camera. So you can connect your security system to your smartphone and you can see everything that's going on at the house while you're away, while you're on vacation, while you're at work. While you're sitting at the stoplight. You shouldn't do that while you're sitting at the stoplight. You shouldn't use your phone when you're in the car. It's a bad idea. Okay, so maybe we don't use that part in the ad. <laughs> but Simply Safe has an arsenal of sensors to protect your entire home and keep your family safe. And so that's an extra layer of protection to put your mind at ease. But this is probably the best part here that Simply Safe has gotten rid of everything that makes most home security such a pain. No long term contracts, mm-hmm. no hidden fees, mm-hmm. and it's only $15 a month which is about a third of what those other companies charge you. So why get ripped off twice? So go to Simply Safe and their new camera today. You'll get an exclusive 10% discount when you go to simplysafe.com/criminal. That's simplysafe, S I M P L I S A F E.com/criminal. Criminal. 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 <laughs> Remember, it's criminal. Remember, it's criminal. It's like that more popular podcast got robbed of their Simply Safe URL. That's right. (laughs) You mean the one with the owl theory? The one with the owl theory. All right. Well, this week during the criticism and commentary portion of our podcast, we're going to talk about something a little bit weird. Full transparency. The reason that we're talking about this documentary is because a good friend of mine who's the executive producer of the podcast Outside In told me, You guys have to talk about this crazy, crazy documentary. It's called Tickled. It's available right now on HBO and on HBO Go and on HBO On Demand. And it's probably available other places, but I never know how to find it other places. But our listeners always seem to be able to figure that out. Um, But the documentary is called Tickled. And um, the tagline for the movie pretty much says it all. It's not what you think. So the premise is this. After stumbling across a YouTube video, New Zealand pop culture journalist David Ferrier wants to do a lighthearted feature on the so-called sport of competitive endurance tickling and a competitive reality show that may or may not be featuring said sport. So the quote-unquote sport of competitive endurance tickling is basically just videos of young men tied down, squirming under the ticklish touch of other men. And when David contacts the show's producer, the backlash is immediate and vicious. It's an overreaction that only further piques his interest in the subject. What follows is David's international quest to find out who is really behind these videos, where the money behind them is coming from, and why scorched earth seems to be a part of a long-term pattern of abuse against participants and anyone uh, being perceived as a threat against this competitive endurance tickling (laughs) enterprise. (laughs) 
So this is going to be a little bit tricky. I'm going to ask you guys, panelists, to keep our... We can talk about in a subject matter of documentary, but uh, let's try to keep some of the big reveals spoiler-free in terms of that, because there are a couple of big reveals. Yeah, there are more twists and turns than getting a, a feather <laughs> to the bottom of your foot. <laughs> so maybe like in terms of the identities of people, we'll just kind of keep that under wraps. Everyone agree? Yep. Yep. All right. David Ferrier. I just want to talk about him as a character. He's very much admittedly a soft news features reporter. Kevin, can you relate to that at all? Oh, you're such an asshole. <laughs> no, I'm not. There's my first, the first swear of the podcast. You were yeah, a... No, 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 no. You, no. you also reported hard news, but one of the things you sure, were known for... Sure. I was for, a general assignment reporter. Yes. Uh, so I did go back and forth between hard news and murders and stuff, but also doing things like... They showed him like doing uh, like an interview with a guy at like a science fiction costume convention mm-hmm. or the the ostrich that was struck by lightning or whatever yep. the heck was that. Yeah, those are the kinds of things that I did. Sure. You did, for instance, the woman who called herself the hamster whisperer. The gerbil whisperer. <laughs> you did a story about an opera restaurant where they sing opera and you brought your opera glasses to that restaurant. That's right, yeah. On your table. Yeah. The giant chair in front of that furniture store and why it's there. The yes. steeple that was like a giant hand pointing into the sky. Yeah, yeah, I've done a lot of those mm-hmm. things. Yeah, great. So did you find this character relatable? I'm wondering. I'm wondering, I'm wondering if you liked Not him. Not until this moment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but did you like David? I mean, could you? Yeah. No, no, no. No, I definitely, and I think I turned to you and said, yeah, that would be me in New Zealand. Those mm-hmm. would all be all the stories that I'd get. And I think that's why he he stumbled across this thing very innocently where he's like, oh man, this is going to make a really good, you know, a funny story. Mm -hmm. And he just had no idea what he was playing with. Now, what we see happen, Laura, is that he sends basically an email of inquiry to the production company, Jane O'Brien Media, behind these postings for basically like casting calls for young men to come and be part of this endurance tickling alleged reality show. And he sends a a quick email of inquiry. And what he gets back is this. And this all happens, by the way, in the first five minutes of the documentary. So I'm not spoiling too much here. Yeah. He gets back this insane homophobic, ranty email, like basically threatening him with all of these threats and and calling him all these horrible names and gay slurs. This is really the first twist of the documentary. Is this the moment you realized it was not going to be what you thought it was going to be, Laura? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I go, oh, my God, this is like the Scientologists. They're behind this. Because <laughs> I was like, this is not. I mean, I thought, oh, this is going to be so fun. Let's watch this. It was like this weekend. And then I'm like, ah, uh, yeah, no. So, yeah, no, I definitely was thinking that there was something much more nefarious going on. Toby, you know, that sort of gets followed up that some of the production team agree to come to New Zealand. It's kind of unclear why exactly how that all happened, you know, why they agreed to go. And David shows up at the airport, you know, he's making a documentary at this point, and he's got his camera and his sound guy, and um, it kind of takes a turn for the worse. He's got, like, this welcome sign. Uh, it was a really nice welcome sign. <laughs> <laughs> it did. Um, so what did you think of that interaction? And I'm wondering if there was a point, Toby, I, I kept thinking of you watching this, did you think David might suddenly have found himself in over his head here? Like, did, do you think he was equipped for this? I guess just the fact that he made a documentary kind of took that suspense out of it, you know, because he did follow through. Mm-hmm. But uh, I, I don't think it's given much away to say that he's doing this with a threat of a serious lawsuit, which he would in no way be able to <laughs> pay. I mean, it would ruin his life if it was successful. So, yeah, I mean, it, it definitely it took some guts on his part to stick with it, I think. And especially, well, again, is this is this giving away too much? But he actually thinks about not doing it, and then it's his 
sort of nerdy buddy who's actually got a family and two kids who's like, fuck it, I'm not getting pushed around. <laughs> and uh, Yeah, I mean, well, we do know because it is a documentary that at some point they got like a production company behind this. I mean, they, they sort of are transparent about that in the documentary. They mentioned a producer later on giving them some input they on do. how they were going. They yeah. do, and I, I, we know how the film business works. At the beginning of this documentary, it's one of those ones where there's like, 50 production companies listed. <laughs> it's like Magnolia Pictures and like, is the wine? HBO I don't know, documentary. I don't know if the Weinstein guy was like all, it was like so many companies. Yeah. So you wonder like how much of those, that is distribution and how much of that is, you know, sort of support and There was help. a Kickstarter to help fund this as well. Yeah. I get the feeling like it was at Sundance or something and people jumped all over it because it was so good. Yeah. And there's actually a story there too, which we can't tell during this conversation oh. because it is a bit of a spoiler alert, but there- Some of the principal people- Involved. Involved showed, showed up for the premiere. <laughs> really? Yeah. Can we do like Whoa. a little like spoiler heavy thing at the end of this conversation? You just want to know, don't you? <laughs> yeah, so you can tell me about it. Google it. I'll tell me that that creepy old guy with the white hair, did he show up? Uh, We're not going to say. Uh, Steve Bannon? <laughs> no, no. He frightened. No, this guy was pretty frightening. Oh, you mean the, the guy who came to New Zealand? Yes, and yeah. then he was also in another clip when uh, the guy yeah. showed up where they were in doing LA. one of their tapings. I got to say, there is a character, one of these these production company people who comes to New Zealand, that, that guy I think you're talking about with longer white hair. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. When he showed up, my immediate thought was, something's going on with that dude. He was a yes. very, very strange and, and scary dude. Mm-hmm. He was a bully. Yeah, he yelled and he used the term I. He used the term I, I instead yeah. of we, yeah. All right, your earlier question was, at the greeting at the airport, I don't think at that moment that David knew the kind of documentary he was doing. I think he still thought this was going to be a funny, lighthearted documentary. If he knew then what he knows now... He would not have shown up at the airport with a very happy, you know, rainbow-colored welcome sign shaking everybody's hand and welcoming them to Auckland. Because we see later on in the documentary a different style of journalism that he goes into. (laughs) We'll talk Uh, about that. Yeah. One of the things that happens in New Zealand, those early scenes in New Zealand, is that somebody on this production team basically tells him, it's not going to work out well for you if you film me here in the airport. And David explains, you know, here in New Zealand, we can film in public spaces. Like, we're allowed to do this. And then that has a little confrontation. But then later... You can in America, too, but that's right. okay. Yeah, but yeah. then later, there's a private meeting that happens in a room uh-huh. that apparently somebody was taping the audio from without the other people in the meetings knowing it. And we just see a shot from outside the building while they play the audio of the meeting. Now, here in the U.S., the rules are obviously different, a lot of different places. Where we live, in particular, there's a two-party consent, which means both people have to know you're taping something. There's one-party consent states, which means that only one person has to know you're taping, so you can clandestinely record conversations. But this just struck me as I was watching it as like... Like, that would not be cool a lot of places, right? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, there's a a line between investigative television journalism and federal wiretapping. Mm -hmm. And so I don't know how that would play in the U.S., but I think it's one thing if you're undercover and, you know, you're going into the meatpacking plant and you're getting video of, (laughs) you know, people not washing their hands. For the common good. Yeah. If you're having a meeting in a conference room and you've basically bugged it, you're wearing a hidden microphone to capture that conversation, I think that's different. Mm -hmm. However, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't derail the the documentary for me. I was just like, whoa. (laughs) 
<laughs> they seem to have people sort of like staked out for that meeting because, you know, we had the audio and then it looked like there was somebody down below filming up and we could kind of see shadows of heads at one point. And then there was the other scene where there was a conversation and the guy had like turned on his phone so we could hear the conversation, but we could see like, I don't know, like kind of like the ground and then occasionally somebody's legs or something. Um, it was the view I, from inside his coffee cup. Yeah, it was it was, uh, you know, but I, it was kind of co- I, I liked this sort of like covert operation that he was doing. So I was into it. Now, I, I want to take a step back from sort of the journalistic process and the filmmaking process. And I want to talk about this tickling thing because it is a central theme. <laughs> Um, And it's an interesting film for me because I think it it would be very tempting to make a whole documentary about this weird tickling thing. It's a fetish is really what it is. And the way the film handles it is that the filmmakers go and talk to somebody in Florida who has a legitimate business who isn't operating in secret and who isn't a crazy internet bully. Unrelated from unrelated person. The principal people in the film. Who makes money making these tickling videos. And we sort of see the other side of it, the sort of consensual participant side, sort of. Um, Toby, I'd love to. I just love to hear your thoughts about this scene. I mean, obviously, we're not judging people. Whatever people are into, they absolutely have their. You know, people can be into whatever they want to be into, but just sort of like the whole idea of of tickling as a fetish, the visuals of this, sort of the way that guy explained it. I don't know, like, what were your thoughts about just like this whole community and and this whole genre of of fetish? Well, I thought that that part of it was really put there to show sort of the sexual nature of the whole tickling thing. Mm -hmm. Because I think at the beginning, you know, it's sort of presented as a desexualized. I mean, it's clearly sexual when you actually watch it, but but the way that it's being talked about by the people who are putting on... Or, or trying to get people to come and do Jane the O'Brien media. Yeah, exactly. Is trying to desexualize it. So then when they go to Florida with this guy who seems like a fairly mild mannered, otherwise kind of normal guy. Typical mild mannered pornographer. He's an entrepreneur. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he just, he, well, I mean, I think he, he realized that he'd always had this kind of fetish and then found out that, you know, other people did too. So he didn't feel so weird about it and then started making videos. But I do think, like, A, just the nature of what was happening, and then B, the way that that part of it was shot, especially at the end, really made very clear its sexual material. Right. You know, at first I was like, this seems like kind of a, a weird, like, digression. But I think in, if they hadn't done that, the whole sexual aspect of things would have been completely lost. Mm-hmm. Now, Laura, we did see, though, you know, Jane O'Brien Media had set up these tickle cells in <laughs> impoverished middle America. You know, they were going to MMA. They, had, they hired local recruiters going to MMA matches to find poor young men to recruit. You know, at the beginning, we see that competitive tickling team of all their young men, like a boy band. We see mm-hmm. that covert operation around that shoot in L.A. with all those very young men. And now knowing what we know about the real purpose of these videos, did you get sort of like a real icky, like predatorial vibe from from this whole section where we saw how he that, you know, Jane O'Brien Media was like luring these young men into this enterprise? Yeah, I think this might be the point where I turned to my husband um, who watched it with me and I said, yeah, this is how pedophiles groom children Mm -hmm. that they're going to molest. Yeah, It, it just was really off, really sketchy and. 
you know, the way that they are preying upon um, people that are vulnerable, that need the money, that don't necessarily realize what they're getting drawn into until it's too late. And tickling is definitely something that's, it's a sign of dominance. And, and I think it's also kind of a form of torture in a way. So I think it's sort of this like control over other people. So it's not necessarily this fun little thing that you think it is. But I can also, and, and you know, this is just kind of icky, but, um, you know, I can see how when, say, there's somebody that's maybe in a position of authority over a young boy, tickling's kind of that first way they might try to kind of touch them. Mm-hmm. So it's just, it, the, the, the whole thing just, I was like, ugh, yeah. when I was watching this. I was like, mm, interesting. I think Jerry's, the Jerry Sandusky stuff involved tickling in the shower. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, it is. It, it, it is actually a form of dominance because it is something that like, you know, and even if you think about like when you tickle your kids, like when they start to get really uncomfortable, like you stop. Like it's funny for you, but it's clearly not funny for them after, you know, after certain, you know, you stop. Of agony. Yeah. yeah. And this, this fetish really seems to be about the point at which you, you can't, you, you're not stopping because the person is literally tied down. Dominance. That's what yeah. the fetish seems to be based on, right? Yeah. You, you know, in general, for the, through, through the entire documentary, any sort of sexual aspect to the tickling is, is kind of played down and the part where we go to Orlando and meet this other guy who's not related to Jane O'Brien Media and is doing this on his own I think it was important because it goes to motive mm-hmm. why why are these videos going on because they weren't very clear in the beginning this isn't a spoiler the videos that are being made are not being sold. They're not being advertised. They're not being advertised. No one is subscribing to them. It doesn't appear like they're making any money off of them. Right. And large sums of money are being doled out for people to come. Right. So this, you know, is where the plot thickens and as to, okay, well, why? And having, a, you know, a quasi-sexual component to the act and the videos is something worth pondering. But there, there are so many larger questions about how this empire was formed, what their real motives are, how they're financed, why are they so eager to go after anybody that they see as a perceived threat, including, you know, a soft news journalist from New Zealand who wants to do a, a funny documentary about them. All they had to do was say, no, we're not interested in participating. Right. And usually that's where most stories die. Yeah, I mean... They didn't have to go like all Burgermeister Meisterburger on them and then decide, oh, yeah, well, we got to... <laughs> it's like, oh, okay, I think there's something around that's going on As here. we saw in the documentary, though, this happened to a lot of other journalists and a lot of other people who mm-hmm. had... I mean, there were... The one sort of question I still have is the like unbelievably sophisticated computer hacking skills that seem to be involved in part of the uh, recrimination. How would the whoever is behind this take down the computer network at a university? <laughs> I mean, there's like a lot going on here that I have questions about. But Kevin, I have a more practical question for you because you said to me during the documentary that is a good like journalistic slash pop culture thing that mm-hmm. I just don't know a lot about. There was a stakeout at one point in the documentary and outside of that production studio in Los Angeles where all those, we saw all those young men kind of going in as if they'd been recruited, trying they think mm-hmm. they're trying out for a reality mm-hmm. show or whatever. And there's that super creepy sound. You can hear the laughing from outside the building. <laughs> yeah. 
But then they decided to go ahead and like, we're going we're to go in, which is a scene I think we've seen in so many like reality based TV things like uh-huh. Cops or remember that show Cheaters? Yeah, 60 Minutes. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. To catch a predator. You know, we yeah. sort of see that. But you sort of had, you were like, no, no, you're not doing it right, guys. Like, what is the right way to do that? If you're staking out a, a location, you can either sit tight mm-hmm. and do that in silence and slip away in silence without them ever knowing. You can kind of the little art of war here. You could also kick down the door and go in and and rush them and literally uh, kick on the door, just walk not, in. Walk in, cameras rolling. Yep. What's going on? Let them here. kick you out on camera. Let them kick you out on camera. See what's inside, or you can pull a punch and do the <laughs> and do the thing that is the worst result of either of those situations, which is what they did. Storm the castle, but not actually go in the door. <laughs> you wouldn't do that. I, yeah. <laughs> There's no point in storming the castle, telling everybody you're here, and then not doing anything. Yeah. Well, I I guess it's just like a lot here. It really did turn into a really like international film where we see these two guys traveling to the United States on multiple occasions to continue to investigate the story. It gets very close to my hometown where I grew up at one point, to a point where I actually was recognizing some of the landmarks, which was a little bit strange for me. But overall... I just would love, sort of love your, your thoughts, guys, on why you think whoever it is who's behind this whole tickling video mystery, it's not illegal. It's something that other people are doing. Yeah. Any sense about where all of the vitriol and crazy and everything we see from minute five of this documentary, any sense of what that's about? Laura, what do you think? There's something else going on with this whole situation. And I think that I I feel like he did a good job giving us an idea of the story and who's behind the story. But I feel like there's something else going on here and something else going on with the person who ends up kind of being behind all these videos. Something's just not right. Like I said, it reminded me of the Scientology people when they would go crazy if somebody left Scientology and they would start like hiring people to follow you. Like they they hired somebody to follow the filmmaker yeah. in this. So there's, you know, that whole sort of just like disproportionate reaction to the situation really leads me to believe that I think we need to take the case on because something is up. The creating websites too reminded me a lot of the Scientology. You know? Yeah, yeah. There's something, something else is going on here. What do you think, Toby? What do you think is behind all of the stuff <laughs> that we see going on in this movie? You know, I think it's it's a big spoiler, so I won't go into it a whole lot. But I thought right at the very end, like the last three or four minutes, I thought they got pretty close to the bottom of it. Yeah. In the end, like that part is kind of banal. You know, there's enough that's sort of brought in about their background at the end to make you see why they might be... You know, I don't want to say, well, maybe it's maybe sociopathic is the correct word, but why they would drastically overreact to any perceived threat to them, even if it was, you know, nonsensical. Did you guys think like I did that just the amount of time it takes to make phone calls and write letters and build websites and hire lawyers? I mean, it seems like a lot of that activity was coming from should I say a very small group of people? Like, <laughs> and it was a lot yeah. of activity toward a lot of people, right? Yeah. That, yeah. But Scientology has an organization, like a whole yeah. like company set up to do that kind of stuff. I yeah. have a theory, but I'm not going to say it. But yeah, there's something else going on here. You think so? 
Because oh, just the level of reaction is just, it doesn't, it's, it's not normal. What do you think, Kevin? I am puzzled because the content of the videos are not illegal. Right. There is, I, you know, I don't want to say, you know, nobody's getting hurt. I mean, I don't think anyone here is being criminally victimized. They're getting hurt afterwards. They're, but yeah, afterwards, right. the intimidation and the blackmail and the... Cyberbullying. The, the length that the company is willing to go to to smear people who had appeared in the video as people being tickled, the journalists, the other people that had worked for them is very peculiar. There are some parallels to the leader of the Scientology organization, David Miscavige. Right. I think it comes down to the leader of this uh, media empire uh, having <laughs> a pathology. A pathology of some kind that, in one way, reminds me, and I'm not saying this person is a serial killer, but reminds me of a serial killer that I wrote about. The, hmm. the fervor yeah. of uh, Sheila Labar's reaction to things the same thing, yeah. uh, was such as said, man, you know, to go after and make a jihad the out of all earth. these people. Right. Yeah. So... Um, now, Sheila Labar would, if someone crossed her, would tell everybody that person was a pedophile. That was her move. That was her move. And she'd do it publicly, and she would do it to everybody she could. That was sort of her thing. And that's that similar pathology is here, where it's like, I'm going to share this with everybody that you might work with, that you are working with, and letters sent to bosses, and insane. Totally yeah, insane. Yeah. And Toby's right, and it's not a spoiler, at the end... Somebody gives a, a theory, some background, uh, some personal background on somebody that seems to answer perhaps all of these questions about why is this thing in motion? I'm going to ask everybody if they'd recommend that our audience watch Tickled. Um, I'm going to start this time, <laughs> which I, <laughs> I, I don't often do, but I just want to say one thing that ties to what we were just talking about, which is that I would recommend that, yes, if you're into watching things that are not exactly what you'd expected, I would recommend watching this. There are, you know, a couple scenes that are just a little bit weird. Maybe don't watch it with your young kids, for sure, Um, because you will have to have discussions about what a fetish is afterwards. Uh, But it's not particularly explicit. It's just interesting. And one of the things that my big takeaways, and I kept thinking about again and again and again, you know, what's going on in our public life right now with media manipulation and sort of scorched earth tactics around information and the media. And, you know, it's obviously now we're in a, in a time where it's more politically oriented. But to see the kinds of tactics that somebody who wants to do a story comes up against when they sort of cross the wrong person. I found that stuff to be fascinating because we actually saw it. And then he talks to journalists that it also happened to. And a lot of the tactics and a lot of the rhetoric around this reminded me a lot of what we're seeing now where, you know, credible journalists are being attacked for reporting facts. I don't know. I found it really interesting in that regard. I also found the fetish stuff interesting, too. So, Toby, would you (laughs) recommend that our, our listeners watch the HBO documentary Tickled? Thumbs up, thumbs down. What do you think? Let me ask a question and then make a point and then I'll give sure. my recommendation. Go ahead. My question is to the people of New Zealand. <laughs> I, I did notice that uh, he was wearing his all his shirts had pictures of animals on them. <laughs> did you notice this? Yeah. Yeah. And it was just like Brett in uh, Flight, Flight of the, the Concords. I kept thinking the same thing. Yes. That's racist. So I, was, <laughs> so I was just wondering if like that's a like actual thing or whether he was like 
consciously mimicking Brett from Flight of the Concords or what was going on there? Don't you mean he maybe not taking this as seriously as he needed to in that moment? Don't you mean Brit? Brit. Brit. <laughs> You're being racist. Oh, is that short? that's so cute. That is that short for Brittany? Um, <laughs> okay, so that's one thing. The second thing is there are a bunch of times during the course of it when I was watching it and there's all this like messed up stuff going on. You know, it's just fundamentally about tickling. And I was like, this is like a total satire Mm -hmm. on the true crime genre. Mm -hmm. It's just like, we'll do this deep dive on tickling and there'll be people (laughs) who get really pissed off about it and threaten you and going to sue you. And we'll have these interviews with these people who have been irreparably harmed because of tickling and and all this. So this is very strange, but I, I, I would recommend it. I thought it was it was good in a number of ways. There's enough sort of revelations, enough twists and turns. So that keeps it interesting. I think the the main guy is uh, he's sort of an attractive person to follow through this. The bad guys are are bad guys. Yeah. You know, <laughs> I there's a lot to offer it. There, there are definitely worse ways to spend 90 minutes. You mentioned the satire, and you mentioned Best in Show earlier. It did occur to me also, Toby, as I was watching, that this, this could be a Christopher Guest movie. This could be like the yeah. plot of a Christopher Guest movie. And then we, we see, like, Catherine O'Hara, you know, could have played Jane O'Brien. and you know. <laughs> Yeah, and it's just like like some of the evidence is like these people, like, lying on beds being tickled. I know, you wearing know, tracksuits. Here, here's some film. <laughs> Stop it. Exactly. Exactly. Laura, what do you think? Do you recommend that our listeners check out Tickled by HBO Documentaries? Yeah. I mean, I think this is definitely, um, you know, there's so many true crime documentaries out there and stories. And, uh, you know, I started this thinking this was not a true crime uh, story. And it really Surprise. was. So it's, yeah. yeah. Whoops. Hello. So, you know what? It's it's really out of the ordinary in terms of the topic. It's, it's really fascinating. And I find even as much as I want to take down the person that's behind the tickling videos, it's a fascinating kind of study in this bully character um, that Rebecca sort of referenced in, in regard to the media. It's just bizarre. I've said, when this finished, I sat on my couch and I was actually kind of speechless. I was like, Huh. What did I just watch? Uh, <laughs> that is pretty effed up. I mean, I sat there and we're like, well, okay. But it's interesting. It's really fascinating. What do you think, Kevin? I think that this story is crazy and I think people will enjoy watching it. I think afterwards they'll say, what the hell did I just watch? Because you're right, the setup, I mean, you think you're walking into this and it's going to be like, oh, it's going to be like the Westminster Dog Show or it's just going to be this very quirky film and it gets dark and you go along for the adventure even though it looks like it's a a parody or it's not very serious it's a good true crime investigation and it will leave you a little creeped out I think because afterwards I just wanted to slather my body in Kapari beauty (laughs) products so that someone couldn't tickle you well, if they did, then my skin would be like really smooth, you know, and I would have <laughs> the that. fingers would slide right off. They, they would slide yeah. <laughs> right off because Kapari's coconut oil is the ultimate multitasker. It's a head to toe hydration product with an incredible beach smell. Use it in your hair. Use it on your feet. Use it everywhere in between. Uh, they have lots of different products, including the sheer oil and the coconut body glow. But the coconut balm is what we need right now in the middle yeah, of the winter. The melt. It's all about the melt. 
You're about to melt. Tell us why you like that, Rebecca. Because uh, you get out of the shower, take a chunk of it, it melts right in your hand, you slather it all over yourself. Although I have also been using the sheer oil on my face and my hair, because it says to use it on your hair on the bottle, and I was like, I'm going to give that a shot. Love it. I love the Kapari. I love it. It's great on a day like today. It's snowing out, and I smell like coconut, head to toe. Smell me. Mm, it's like smelling summer. <laughs> Laura, how about you? You love Kapari. I do love the Kapari, and I use the oil um, from my eyes, under my eyes. It said it would take away my eye bags. We get so dry here in the winter in New England, and this is the best winter I've had in terms of my skin actually being, you know, in good shape, and I smell good. It's awesome. I really, I really like it. So say aloha to your best skin and hair no matter the season with Kapari. Go to kaparibeauty.com slash crime to get 20% off your order. That's Kapari, K-O-P-A-R-I, beauty.com slash crime for 20% off. Kaparibeauty.com slash crime. What else you got, Kevin? Well, support for today's podcast comes from Audible, presenting Ponzi Supernova. I've been hearing about Ponzi Supernova. This original audio documentary series tells the story you think you know. Bernie Madoff, legendary fraudster, is sent to prison for orchestrating the largest Ponzi scheme in history. But that is definitely not the full story. Drawn from hours of unheard conversations with Bernie behind bars and interviews with the SEC, FBI, and victims of his scheme, Ponzi Supernova takes you on a fascinating journey into the dark interior of our financial system. A six-part Audible original series, Ponzi Supernova, is available on channels. To listen, go to audible.com slash Ponzi. Audible and Amazon Prime members get to listen for free. I've actually heard a lot about this. In fact, I was thinking about discussing it on the show at some point, believe it or not. I heard the first episode. It was on Radiolab, and it's really fascinating. Ponzi Supernova by Audible. That's a thing. Audible.com slash Ponzi. All right. By the way, that's P-O-N-Z-I. I. I, yes. <laughs> All right. Just like Fonzie. <laughs> Hey, now it's time to move on to my favorite part of the podcast, a little something I like to call the crime Crime of of the the week. week. Well, maybe they've been watching too much Big Little Lies, but things got very testy at the Deer Park Elementary School in Deer Park, Texas. Two moms got into a road rage incident in the hotbed of emotions better known as the drop off lane. Mm. The first mom banged on the other's window and yelled that she was speeding in the school zone. That's when the second mom pulled out a handgun and said, back off. (laughs) Police rushed to the school. No shots were fired. No one was arrested. But plenty of kids saw the whole incident go down. Later, the principal sent home a letter asking parents to take a cue from their children and, quote, reconsider how we deal with disagreements and anger in our lives. (laughs) Play nicely, moms. Play nicely. nicely. So, panel... Enough big little lies in the drop-off lane. What movie or miniseries should these Texas moms be watching instead? Toby, I'm going to start with you. Wasn't there an Arthur episode that was about something like this? <laughs> I don't th- a gun in the school zone? I don't know. But. Yeah, I think Mr. Reed might have like got all up in Muffy's dad's face. Um, yeah, Arthur. Arthur. What, what do you think, Laura? I think, and I no disrespect intended of our Texas listeners, but what is going on? Wasn't Texas where they also had the case with the mom, the cheerleading case where yes. she like tried yeah. to hire a hitman? Yes. Yeah. Um, so also I the don't case know where going. the woman like tried to like, drove over her ex-husband and his wife and her Mercedes. <laughs> 
Yeah. I don't know what's what's going on down there. Um, so I don't know. I mean, I, I would go back to like the Brady Bunch, the Waltons. I mean, something we need some lifetime Hallmark kind of stuff to kind of get these women to calm down a little bit. Uh, I'm going to say there are a lot of reality shows that sort of have Texas roots and a lot of them have to do with themes that may be more in line with this kind of story. Uh There's another Texas-based reality show that I recommend these moms tune into, and that is Fixer Upper on HGTV, the most peaceful and beautiful of all of the Texas media creations. I think if you watch a little bit of Chip and Joanna, you'll never want to shoot anybody. You'll just want to like put a little shiplap in their car. That would be my recommendation. What about you, Kevin? See, I would go sort of the opposite way and give them sort of a punishment here to see remind them about like how bad it could get and I would make them watch Maximum Overdrive several times <laughs> I think Emilio Estevez is in that one I, I think you're right it's one of, one of the, uh, Stephen King's lesser movies hmm. Emilio Estevez aka President Jed Bartlett's son uh, mm-hmm. yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, One note I did want to mention, a programming note. Our friend Lonnie Diane Rich of many, many pop culture podcasts. She is a pop culture maven and storytelling maven. She has a brand new podcast called Jed Bartlett is My President. It is a podcast about the West Wing, and I am on it this week. It's a brand new show. I'm on episode two. Check it out. Jed Bartlett is my president. Is it Jed or Jeb? Jed Oh, see, yeah. I didn't and watch it. Bartlett with one T, B A R T L E T. Yes, because you didn't watch The West Wing because you were too busy watching The Drew Carey Show, as we all know. <laughs> but that Mimi was so funny. <laughs> for shame, Kevin, for shame. All right, Laura, before we uh, sign off for the week, is there a cat of the week this week? <laughs> There is. I have to say, people are getting so creative with their submissions. It was a real toss-up. There was a cat this week that was um, the dairy whore who stole somebody's pizza and ate it. (laughs) Okay. And I'm sorry, but that cat has been nudged out by Garf, who has a Jack Nicholson eye, and he really does. Nice. So Elizabeth's cat, Garf, adopted, has the Jack Nicholson eye. Kind of like, um, what's the movie where he's pedaling the bike up and down? Jack Nicholson pedaling a bike up and down? You know, the one flew over the cuckoo's nest? No. 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 Oh, the, the, shining? the Shining. Oh, God. It's not Jack Nicholson. That's his son. Oh, <laughs> you know what I mean? The movie that it's he's in. wheels. All yes. work and no play makes Jack a dull boy. Red rum. Red so anyway. Well, Laura Bricker, if our listeners want to find you on Twitter and perhaps submit their creative nominations for Cat of the Week, how can they find you online? At Laura Bricker. And Toby Ball, if our listeners want to tweet to you, you know, if you have power and you can read it, how can they reach you on Twitter? At Toby Ball and H. And Kevin Flynn, if our listeners want to reach you on Twitter, how may they do so? I'm at Tickle Me Kevin P. Flynn. <laughs> you have an Elmo impression, don't you? Elmo don't want to be tickled there. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and my God. I like this what? is like a bad flashback. We had that stupid Tickle Me Elmo, <laughs> and the batteries died. And then all of a sudden, it, like spontaneously in the middle of the night, it would just go off, <laughs> and you couldn't get it to stop. Oh. You didn't have a hammer in the house? (laughs) Well, yeah. It almost came to that. All right. Well, if you want to send me a tweet or follow me on Instagram, you can find me at Reb Lavoie. The show is also on Twitter at Crime Writers On. And you can always send us an email or voice memo at crimewriterson at gmail.com. Don't forget to head over to our website where you can sign up for our newsletter and buy stuff using our Amazon link. Before you close your podcast app, Please leave us an iTunes review. It makes a big difference. And check out These Are Their Stories, the Law & Order podcast. Our very handsome line producer is Henry LaFoy. Elmo has video.
video camera. <laughs> In his microwave. <laughs> Our theme music was performed by the New York Ska Jazz Ensemble and used with their permission. This show was Come recorded. Come shorts while doing this. <laughs> this show was recorded in Square Egg Studio at Partners in Crime Media, a.k.a. the closet in our basement formerly known as Studio C, where I will tie you down and tickle you if you don't stop interrupting me. Almost there. <laughs> On behalf of all the crime writers, thanks so much for listening. We will catch you later. Hi, Mr. Noodle. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. I want to do a volume check because everyone's all over the place. Uh, Toby, tell us about your super boring breakfast, please. Uh, today I had um, cinnamon checks and orange juice and coffee. All right. And then... Go uh, ahead, keep going. Well, there's not a whole lot. I cooked up some bacon. <laughs> then I made an omelet later. <laughs> some sourdough toast. Kevin, what did you have for breakfast? Um, I had uh, an egg that I had to make myself because you made yourself breakfast without me. And Why is that, Kevin? I think I was sleeping. I don't That's know. Right. Uh, I had an egg <laughs> and some potato, hash brown potato patties that I love. The frozen kind? That the frozen like, kind, yeah. They, they serve on airplanes? Yeah. You love those. I was going to make like an egg sandwich with the little round thing, but you had the last... Um, and what did I have the last, last English muffin, up. Kevin? Oh, you know, actually, there are more English muffins in the freezer. It's because you were sleeping. Because I was sleeping. Like the abominable <laughs> snowman. Partners in Crime Media. Thanks to Tripping for supporting today's podcast. Tripping.com gives you direct access to over 10 million properties, pulling from VRBO, TripAdvisor, Booking.com, and dozens of other sites. Tripping.com's comprehensive search allows you to easily compare prices, location, and amenities. Visit Tripping.com slash writers today to start and finish the search for your perfect vacation rental. That's Tripping.com slash writers. Tripping.com slash Writers. Want the same expert advice you get from the pros in the store while shopping online at DiscountTire.com? Meet Treadwell, your personal online tire guide that matches you with the perfect tire for your vehicle. Get your best match in one minute or less with Treadwell by Discount Tire.